tonight we are going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The uh, title of my message tonight is From the Jaws of Defeat, Finding Victory in Jesus. And after I found out that Pastor and Brother Vestal were going on a fishing trip to Cabo, I chose that picture for my first slide. I'm not sure they're going to see any sharks. Hopefully not. <laughs> but we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, just going to read three verses here, uh, starting in verse 14. I'm going to read 14 through 17. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. And let's begin with prayer, and then we're going to look at these verses. And actually, we're going to transition. I'm sorry, Colby. But we're going to transition. We're going to look at a story in John, and we're going to look at quite a few verses in the Gospel of John in conjunction with this passage right here. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word that you give to us that we can study and learn from. Thank you for the examples in the Bible. Uh, Thank you that it's practical, and uh, thank you that uh, we can gather tonight as a church, both online and in person. And Father, I just, Holy Spirit, pray that you would Uh, Touch our hearts. Help us to walk away tonight with something that we can apply to our lives that can help us as we walk this Christian life here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we begin tonight, uh, of course, we started in 2 Corinthians, and this is a book written by Paul as his proclamation through the Holy Spirit that we are more than conquerors, that we can triumph in Christ. And so sometimes in life as we walk through this earth, it doesn't always feel like we're triumphant. Uh, sometimes these verses seem very far away, especially when we go through trouble or tribulation, different uh, adversity and difficulties that come into our life. The fun part of this verse is the idea of triumphing in Christ. And that's the part, of course, that we want to focus on tonight. But unfortunately, we all, uh, as we are here on earth, we all suffer defeat, difficulties, adversity, and we have to uh, face that as well. There is no victory without struggle. There is no triumph without adversity, and there is no winning without overcoming pain and loss. If you know Paul's testimony, you know that his testimony was not just one of all mountaintops and triumphs. He faced a lot of adversity, and he talks about that through many of the books that he's written uh, in the New Testament. Tonight we want to look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of the tonight. Jesus and Lazarus, probably one of the biggest... uh, heartaches that Mary and Martha went through, and of course Lazarus. And we're going to look at some of the advice that Jesus gave to that family as they walked through a very difficult time in their life. Um, Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you a story of one of the most unusual basketball games that I ever attended, (laughs) as we talk about victory. Uh, Back when I'm from New York, and back when I uh, lived in New York, uh, I attended a basketball game, and it was a high school game. And it was, a, uh, it was being played at a public school. And uh, I walked in, and I was sitting in the stands. 
And they asked me if I would be the scorekeeper. You know how they pick people from the stands sometimes, and they're like, hey, can you just keep track of the books over here? There was another scorekeeper. So I'm like, okay, sure. So we walk, I walk over to the table. I have the, the book in front of me. We were, uh, the team I was going for was the visiting team. And so I sat down. There's another lady on this other side of me. She's keeping track for the other team. Uh, the refs come over. They start the game. The, our team at that time... Uh, we only had, I think, six players on the team, so we were already short. We were expected to lose, and uh, for, throughout most of the game, uh, we weren't disappointing. Okay? So by the, by, the second, by the time we got to halftime, we were down by quite a few. Uh, I don't know what happened in the locker room at halftime. The coach must have gave some unbelievable speech, but they came out, and the guys just kind of played with abandon. Brother TJ knows what I'm talking about. You've got nothing to lose, so you're just like shooting up. And um, the guys came back, and, and uh, they played with such abandon that one of them fouled out. So now we have five guys against their full roster, and we can't afford to lose another person. And I'm sitting there keeping score. And something, I, you know, this was quite a few years ago, and I don't remember everything that happened. And if you're watching online or watching this video later and you have a different recollection of this game, I don't care. <laughs> but I, you know, I, something happened in the third or fourth quarter. I don't exactly remember. And there was an issue with the scoreboard. And so we called the refs over. And we're like, you know, the person keeping score kind of missed, you know, we think they missed something. And so they went through. They thought they, they, they said, okay, we fixed it. So we're, we're going forward. And um, it gets worse. Uh, although our guys kept scoring, they also kept playing pretty aggressively. And so by the end of the fourth quarter, we were down to four guys, and they allowed the game to continue. We had four guys on our team versus their five on the court. But they were shooting up three-pointers, and we got to the very end of the fourth quarter. Uh, we were down by four. We were down by four with like two seconds left. So... Uh, they throw, you know, they pass it in. The guy's like a half court. He throws up a three-pointer and makes it. Okay? So now we're down by one, and the buzzer goes off. And, you know, everyone's like, what? That was, you know, our team was just pumped because they made it a close game. They thought, you know, we, <laughs> with four guys, we only lost by one. Everyone was just super excited. So all the guys go back to the locker room. I'm sitting, in the, I'm sitting there uh, counting up the whatever score in the scorebook. And I, t- I turn to the lady next to me, and I'm like, you know, my scorebook says that the game is tied. And so she's like, yeah, right. So she looks at her, she counts her scorebook, and then she looks at mine. She calls the refs over. She's like, our scorebooks say that the game is tied. And so the ref's like, we'll count it again. So, you know, we counted it in front of him again. And he's like, okay. So he goes to the locker room. He calls the guys out. He's like, the game is tied. So we're going to go into a period of overtime. Now, okay, we still only had four guys because they don't let you start over with your guys. So it's still four to five. And um, this is the part that gets a little hazy. But I think by the end of overtime, we were down to three guys. <laughs> so, but it was either four or three. And, you know, realistically, we still should have lost. But such is life when you have the momentum behind you. The guys, they stuck with it all the way to the end of the overtime period. And we won. Uh, the, by the end of the period, we were up, and I don't remember how much we won by, I just remember that we won. And the guys were just unbelievably pumped about this great comeback, this great victory. Well, not everyone in the stands was excited about it. Soon as that ended, I had people from the opposing team walk over to me and say, the ga- I don't know what happened, but that game was not tied. And you guys lost, and I don't know what you said, but you, know, you guys cheated and all this stuff. And I'm like, 
So anyway, everyone leaves the court. Everyone leaves the basketball court. I'm sitting there. I go through our book again, and I'm like, you know what? It was not tied. <laughs> I, I, I called the. I mean, at this time, everyone was gone. I mean, it wasn't. We weren't going to call people back into the into the gym. Everyone was gone except for the coach of our team. And I'm like, I'm like, I got to get this off my conscience. I said, but I just counted our book again. I said, somehow in the frenzy of everything, you know, the excitement, I, I mean, it, it was not tied. We lost by one. He's like, the rest recalled the game. He's like, that's all. <laughs> we won the game. And that was the most unusual basketball victory that I've ever seen or experienced or, or witnessed. But sometimes life feels like that too, right? Life is like a roller coaster. You know, we have, a, we have a, a difficulty or an adversity that comes to our life. We feel like we're just about to go under. And Lazarus is a perfect story of that. I mean, Lazarus is dead. It doesn't get more, you know, <laughs> defeated than that. Uh, Lazarus is dead. And uh, this is where we're going to pick up the story. So let's go over to uh, John here in uh, John chapter 11. And I'm going to quickly go through some points here on dealing with adversity. Overcoming adversity with victory in Jesus. So tonight I want to look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus as found in chapter 11 of the book of John. And we're not going to go through it verse by verse. We don't have time to do that. But we're going to look at a few verses and we're going to look at some points that Jesus made here. This story walks us through four main things when it comes to adversity. First of all, it teaches us what adversity in our life does not indicate for a Christian. It tells us what it does not indicate. And we're going to look at that in a minute. It also tells us why, why does adversity come to our life. It also tells us what our reaction should be to adversity and pain and loss when we experience it in our life. And at the end, it gives us a conclusion of what adversity can bring to us as Christians. So first of all, what does adversity not indicate for a Christian? Adversity does not indicate an absence of God's love. Adversity does not indicate an absence of God's love. Let's look at verse 3 here. Of course, most of you are familiar with the story of Lazarus. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were very good friends of Jesus. And um, Lazarus had gotten sick. And they called Jesus and said, come, heal him. They knew he had the power to do it. And we see in the story that Jesus did not come immediately. He let Mary and Martha and Lazarus go through a very difficult adversity in their life. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. And let's look and see why. First of all, adversity does not indicate an absence of God's love. We see in verse 3, it says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. In verse 5, we see, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In verse 36, we see, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. So the first thing we have to dispel, the first myth or the first uh, lie that Satan brings to us is the reason why you're going through a difficult time is because God doesn't love you as much as he loves someone else. And, you know, that's that's something that even as Christians, even though in our mind we know it's not true, that feeling still creeps into us when we're going through a difficult time. But this story reminds us that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. It reminds me, so, you know, as I read the story, especially in verse 36, the way that it says, then said the Jews, behold, they could see how Jesus loved him. It reminds me of John 
the very author of this book, when he says, when he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He could feel the love that Jesus had for him. It reminds me of the rich young ruler in the book of Mark, when, the, when it says that Jesus, when he beheld him, he loved him. By the way, those three people, a disciple, someone who rejected Jesus, and here we have a friend of Jesus, all three Jesus loves. And he loves you and he loves me. I love the songs that were sung tonight. The thing is, if we're not careful, we will start measuring God's love based on our feelings instead of God's promise. Especially when we're going through a time of adversity. Especially when there's a difficulty in our life. Especially when there's a loss. Especially when there's an unexpected loss. Because we know God's sovereign. God, you could have stopped this. God, you could have prevented this hurt. And yet we can't fall for that deceit that Satan plants into our mind. It's not because God does not love us. Number two, adversity does not indicate an absence of God's power. Look in verse 37. It says, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? People around saying, He was so powerful, he was making blind people see. He was healing people. Couldn't he have prevented this guy from dying? And the answer is, of course he could have. An adversity does not indicate an absence of God's power. Um, we see this question in this verse 37. That this question was on the minds of some who were standing there that day. Same thing that enters our minds when we face adversity. We're like, God, weren't you powerful enough to keep this from coming into my life? And the answer always is, yes, he is. God could have kept the problems from my life. God could have healed those who are sick in my life. God could have given me the job that I prayed for. God could have kept the coronavirus from coming into our world. God could have kept my loved one from dying. He could have done all that. Adversity doesn't come because of God's lack of power. Lazarus' death was planned to reveal God's power, not due to a lack of God's power. And that is the key to the adversity that comes into our life. It's not because God doesn't have power, it's because he's going to expose his power to us and to those around us. Number three, adversity is not a consequence of our failure. Adversity is not a consequence of our failure. And by the way, this is one that Satan loves to plant into our hearts and to our minds because he knows that we fail. He knows that we're human. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we make mistakes. And so whenever adversity comes into our life, he says, well, if you hadn't have done that, then maybe you wouldn't be going through the hard time that you're going through. You know, this is what, uh, when, they, when they brought the blind man to Jesus in the Gospels and they said, well, what does this man do to sin? And Jesus said, nothing. It's not because of his sin. Now, can we bring things into our life? Yes. But most of the time, the adversity that God brings to us is not punishment. It's for another reason we're going to look at in a minute. Satan wants us to live in guilt. He wants us to have that self-loathing, that unforgiveness, that feeling that says, I'm not worthy, and therefore I deserve this adversity because of what I've done wrong. By the way, that's what Job's friend said. If you read the book of Job. Uh, at first, they tried to comfort him, but at, by the end of the book, they were miserable comforters because the only conclusion they came to was, Job, it must have been something you did wrong. And it wasn't. Um, Lazarus did not get sick because he had sinned. Jesus did not delay his healing because he was upset with Jesus. 
Sometimes the hardest, or because he was upset with Lazarus, sometimes the hardest thing to accept is that adversity is God's divine, perfect plan, not a consequence of something we did wrong. Sometimes it's God's plan. And sometimes that's difficult for us to accept. Even if we do wrong, God will use the consequences of our sin to make us better and bring good to our lives. Next, adversity is not logical. Adversity is not logical. And this one bothers everyone in the room who has a logical brain. (laughs) Because you think, Jesus, why didn't you just get there two days early? I mean, if you read the story, you understand that he had plenty of time to go there. It's just not logical. Why would, why would this pain be inflicted on this family when it could have been prevented? Adversity is not logical. To our logic, the best course in life is to avoid loss, adversity, and discomfort. That's the equation that's in our mind. We think good, comfort, equal. We should always strive for both. That's not Jesus' equation, though. Look in verse 21 here in in John chapter 11. It says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Was that a logical conclusion? It was. If you had just been here when we called you, this would not have happened. And sometimes in our life, if we're not careful, we try to rationalize everything that comes into our life. And we say, God, if you had just done what you were supposed to do, then I could have been prevented from suffering this adversity. God, if you had just fixed this problem in my life, then we wouldn't be facing this situation now. You know, there's all kinds of things that we can extrapolate in our minds. But we have to understand that God works on a different logic than we look at, than we work on. So these are the four things that adversity does not indicate in a Christian's life. Next, I want to look at four things why God allows adversity into a Christian's life. Why does he allow it? We know why, he, why uh, it doesn't indicate. It doesn't indicate these four things. But why would he allow these things to come into our lives? Number one, difficulty comes to bring glory to God. Difficulty comes to bring glory to God. Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, uh, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. You know, Jesus answers this question very clearly in that, in that verse. The adversity that we go through as Christians primarily is for God's glory. You know, sometimes um, pride creeps into our hearts and into our minds, and we, and we make this life about ourselves. And we forget that God brings things into our life because it's about His honor and His glory. Uh, Paul... Actually, in Corinthians, Paul came to actually take pleasure in adversity. If you look back at those verses that we read, it says, And he said unto me, or in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions. And Paul came to symbolize the mark of a truly mature Christian. Someone who realizes and understands why does God bring adversity to our lives? To bring glory to him. Number two, difficulty comes to increase our faith. That picture there is a little mustard seed. We see here in verse 
25 and 26. It says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He puts his finger right on the subject matter of what he's trying to get to. Do you believe? Is your faith increasing in me because of this adversity that you're going through? Um, And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And she gave a very good answer. Unfortunately, if we had no adversity, we would see little affirmation of our faith in our lives. If we step back and we think the times in our life where our faith grew the most was the times where we were going through the most difficult parts of our life. It's just how it is. I wish it wasn't that way. But God knows it, Jesus knows it, and he illustrates it here in this story. Um, Jesus was using the situation as a tool that others may believe in him. And that leads me to point number three. Difficulty comes to increase the faith of those near us. Not only does God use adversity and difficulty to increase our faith, but he uses it to increase the faith of those standing around us, whether it's in our church, our neighborhood, our family, our community. Sometimes it's people we never meet. Sometimes it's people that only know about the adversity that we went through. Uh, um, In verse uh, 41 and 42, look what it says. It says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was, laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Sometimes God puts us through adversity to reach the people around us, and we are used as vessels. Um, Our adversity is used to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, I wrote this down, and I've said this in, I've probably said it in another sermon, or I've said it before, but it's, I like this statement because I feel like it really illustrates uh, what uh, God is trying to do in our life. I wrote down that currents, the currency of God's kingdom is faith. Everything God is trying to produce in us is faith. You know, so many times we're so caught up in this world where the currency of this world is money or power, or fame. And that's what people are, are trying to get to. And so people will work extra jobs. They will uh, put in the extra hours. And they will do whatever it takes to get that. You'll see uh, football players, basketball players, they will strive, they will do whatever it takes. They will put themselves through adversity and struggle to get those things. Wealth, power, fame. Those are not the things that God is trying to build in our lives, though. He brings adversity into our lives to increase faith. That's the currency of God's kingdom. Yeah, I brought here, as an illustration, I brought here some currency. So currency from other countries. So this is currency from Mexico. If I go down to McDonald's or Carl's Jr. down the road and I try to hand this to the person at the drive through window, they will not accept it because this is not the currency of the country that I live in. And this one here, let's see what else I have. I have this one. I think this is from Korea, South Korea. Uh, currency, if I go to Walmart and I try to spend this, they will look at me and they will say, we don't accept that here. This isn't the currency of this store. This isn't the currency of this state. And this isn't the currency of this country. By the way, so many times we get 
we get confused because we're so focused on the currency of, that the world says is important that we forget that that's not what God is trying to build in our life. He is trying to build the currency of his kingdom, with, which is faith. God's main objective in our life is to increase our faith. That's why he brings adversity. That's why he brings struggle. Number four, difficulty comes to prepare us for future ministry. Difficulty comes to prepare us for future ministry. Jesus says in verse 15 that he's glad that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are going to go through this difficulty. Because in the end, it will help his disciples. Let's look at verse 15. Uh, In John chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And I am glad, this is Jesus, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. (laughs) Talk about poking him in the eye. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto them. And he's talking to his disciples there. He was saying, I think, and the Bible doesn't clearly put these dots together, but I don't think I'm reading too much into it to say, he was getting his disciples ready for his own death and his own burial and his own resurrection. And so sometimes in life, our difficulty comes to prepare us and others for a future ministry that we don't know that God has for us yet. And we have to be careful that we don't buck against the difficulty and adversity that he brings into our life, that we don't rebel against it. Jesus was giving a preview of his own resurrection. Those are the four reasons I have that God allows adversity. Now let's look at what should our reaction to it be. What should our reaction to the adversity be? Number one, grieving is natural. It's wholesome, and it's a natural reaction to loss and pain. And this theme is reiterated through John chapter 11. Uh, We see it in verse 35 with the verse, Jesus wept. We see it in verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit. This is Jesus, the one who's about to heal, the one who's about to raise this person from the dead. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled because of the emotion of the grief and loss and pain that he was going through and the people around him. So victory doesn't mean absence of sorrow. It doesn't mean absence of grief. Those are all natural, even for Christians, when we suffer loss to feel that uh, pain uh, as we go through adversity. Number two, difficulties remind us that this world is not our home. In verse 24, Jesus reminds Martha, says, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha is reminded that this world will end. There will be a last day in which all will be made right. Uh, Martha saith unto him, I know, I know he's going to rise again at the last day. Remind me, she's reminding herself again, this world is not our home. Even if Lazarus had not been raised from the dead that day, even if they were forced to go through and lose their brother, This world is not our home. That's not the end of the story. Even if we don't see immediate results from our suffering, God promises us an eternal home. This world is not the end of our existence, only the beginning. Number three, difficulties teach us to pray and to depend on God. They teach us to pray and to depend on God. In verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, if he had been there, her brother would not have died. But in verse 22, let's look at verse 22. She says, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God 
will give it thee. You know, Martha would have missed out on answered prayer if the trouble had never entered her life. She would have missed out on seeing this prayer answered that Jesus was about to illustrate right in front of their eyes. He was going to pray to his father and the prayer was going to be answered and she would have missed out if she had not gone through this difficulty. When we see God answer prayer in our life, it increases our faith and brings spiritual vitality to our soul when we see God answer prayer in our life. The problem is we won't pray unless we go through adversity. So there's this chain of events that happens that God knows what's best for us. It reminds us that we have a loving Father who knows our needs and wants to hear from His children. By the way, prayer is an act of faith. We're praying to a God we cannot see, asking for things that the world would say is foolish. The act of prayer is an act of faith. Prayer acknowledges that there's a power greater than me. And um, we see that illustrated here in this story. And then number four, difficulty allows us to hear God more clearly. It allows us to hear God more clearly. Look at verse 28. It says, And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And that's, you know... This story, when we go through adversity, it's amazing how our spiritual hearing becomes much better. All of a sudden, we're attuned to what God wants to do in our life and speak to us through our life. God is always calling us to himself. But just like the prodigal son, many times we do not consider God's calling until we come to ourselves after a loss. You know, the prodigal son, he was all self-sufficient as long as he had the money that he had taken from his father. But as soon as he was, he was out of money and he had come to a difficult time, now all of a sudden, where do I turn? And he could go back to his father. So what's the conclusion here? What's the conclusion of adversity for a Christian? Victory through adversity is not natural, but supernatural. Victory through adversity is not natural, but it's supernatural. If we allow our flesh to run its natural chorus, the end result of trouble and loss and pain is a stinky, repulsive life. If we allow our natural reaction to adversity to win. Look at verse 39. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. You know, if the adversity had ended with Lazarus dead, that stink would have stayed until he was completely rotten and decayed away. And that's what happens in our life if we don't allow Jesus to have the victory in our life through the adversity. Is we become bitter, uh, we become uh, difficult to work with, uh, we have the loss, we become spiteful. Um, and this is what happens to people that resist the trouble that God brings into their life. They rebel against it. They won't accept it. They, weren't, they won't turn to Christ and let him use it in their life. And so bitterness and, and vengeance and spite becomes marks of their life. Look at the two lives of Joseph in the Old Testament compared to Naomi in the Old Testament. Both of them went through difficult times. Some would say that Joseph's difficulty was worse than Naomi's. But yet, when Naomi came back from her difficulty, her husband and her son's dying, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because I'm bitter. 
Joseph, when his brothers found him, what did he say? He said in Genesis, he said, But as for ye, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is in this day to save much people alive. And boy, isn't that the illustration of the two ways that we can handle difficulty in our life? We can become bitter, like Naomi, or we can say, you meant it for evil, even if it's something someone does against us. You meant it for evil, at the end, God meant it for good. And even though it was something that, in Joseph's case, didn't even need to happen, it wasn't a health issue, it was his brothers that were uh, uh, betraying him. But even in that case, Joseph refused to submit to the bitterness. Uh, Next, let me say, God's glory is seen when we trust God through adversity. God's glory is seen. We already talked about this, but that's a consequence uh, for a Christian, is God's glory is seen when we trust him through adversity. In verse 40, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And Jesus says unto Jesus says the same thing to us. Don't you trust me? Don't you believe that I know what is best for you? Don't you believe that I will work everything out for my glory? And it tests our faith. Because sometimes we're like, yeah, but I would rather be a little more comfortable while, I'm ask- while that's coming about. But sometimes it, God knows the best way. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's called, you know, it's called the faith chapter, the faith hall of fame chapter. And it's basically a list of a bunch of people who God uh, lifted up and pointed out and said, these people have faith. But you know, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 starts out with a definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the first verse in Hebrews chapter 11. After that, the rest of the chapters, 30 some verses, it just goes person by person by person of the difficulties, the trouble, the adversity, the, all the problems that these people faced and how they still trusted God through it all. And then they get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 40, and it says, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, at the end of the chapter, God is saying, the better thing is when you get to the other side of the adversity. Yes, he gives us a definition of faith, and then he gives us the conclusion. There's always a better thing. God is always working to provide some better thing for us and to bring glory for himself. And then victory in Jesus brings freedom, not bondage. By the way, this is, again, illustrated um, not exactly with Joseph and Naomi, but we have a choice when we go through adversity. Do we choose to self-medicate with what the world offers us. The problem is the world's solution to our adversity always leads to bondage. Drugs, alcohol, whatever, addictions, all kinds of things the world says, well, here, you're going through a hard time, do this, use this, try this. The problem is, is it always leads to bondage. Victory in Jesus brings freedom, not bondage. Look at verse 44. When it was all said and done, and he, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. And that's exactly when we go through a difficult time in our life, when we get to the end of it, and we have allowed Christ to have the glory through that adversity and the problem, we have a freedom when we have yielded it to him that the world does not experience. 
And then lastly, eternal good is always a result of experiencing victory in Jesus. Eternal good. Eternal fruit. Something that will last forever. In verse 45, it says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. That's eternal fruit. The people that were standing around, they saw Lazarus, they saw Mary, they saw Martha, they saw the difficult time they went through, they saw how Jesus brought freedom to them, they saw how they went through that adversity, and when a Christian goes through adversity, and the ultimate goal is victory in Jesus, it always yields eternal fruit. When we trust God to bring us through adversity, there's always eternal dividends. Christians can always have the confidence that our suffering is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. It doesn't matter how small, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't know if my suffering is as big as someone else's, but it affects me. And sometimes young people will think, you know, I'm going through a difficult time, but I didn't have a death in my family, so it must not be as traumatic. The thing is, God knows exactly what we need. He brings exactly to our lives what we need. And we should never discount Small suffering, large suffering, it doesn't matter what other people think about the suffering that we're going through. God is using it in our life to bring victory. So tonight, have you questioned why God allows certain things into your life? I know I have, many times. This year I reached the age of 40. I guess I'm halfway, I guess I'm over halfway. (laughs) I'm over halfway to the end. So I've seen enough, I guess, where I've said, God, what, what is this for? Or why are you doing this? Or why would you allow this to come into our life? Do you wonder what good could possibly come from your suffering? That's something, maybe tonight, you're sitting here, maybe you're at home, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm going through a difficult time. No one knows I'm going through a difficult time, but what is the purpose of this? Well, tonight, I want to encourage you, tell God that you trust him. Verbalize it, just like Martha did. Tell him, I believe in you. It helps. It helps to spend time with God and tell him, I believe what you're doing in my life is for my good. Verbalize that trust in him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Tonight, we're not going to have an invitation per se where you're going to get out of your pew and walk forward. But as we bow our heads and close our eyes, let me just ask you, do you have issues that you're facing that no one else knows about? Maybe something that you've secretly questioned God And you feel that bitterness, you feel that resentment well up in your heart. I want you to take that to God tonight and tell him, God, I trust you. I don't know why, I don't have all the answers, but I trust you. I give it back to you. I don't know why you didn't show up two days early to prevent this tragedy in my life. I don't know why I have to walk through this valley, but I trust you. Ask God to give you the victory. Not necessarily the victory to deliver you from the adversity. God may not do that immediately. But the victory over bitterness. The victory over rebellion. The victory to see God glorified through whatever adversity you're facing. As the piano plays for a minute...
I think we'll be surprised when we get to heaven and we realize what some of the most productive things that happened to us in our life were some of the things that we wished had not happened in our life. Father, thank you for this time that we can meet as a church. Thank you for your word that we can go to for comfort and that we can go to for direction, even through difficult times in our life. Thank you that we're not lost. You didn't just leave us here on this planet with no book, no instruction, no direction. Thank you for the illustrations you give to us in the Bible. Thank you for the verses of comfort that you give to us. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you always provide exactly what we need when we need it, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me just remind you before we dismiss that uh, this Sunday, uh, October 18th, we have the 8.30, meeting, uh, 8.30 service, the 11 o'clock service, Sunday school in between. We look forward to seeing you, though, those of you who uh, were with us online tonight. If you can make it on Sunday, we would love to see you. And then as you leave tonight, we do have ushers with offerings, if you, uh, offering plates, if you uh, came prepared to do that. But let me just say thank you. We've been praying for you throughout this time, and we are looking forward to seeing you more of you on Sunday. God bless.